Welcome back to another episode of the Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. I'm Paul Vogelzang, and we're broadcasting from just outside Washington, D.C. Please check out our show notes today for more information about Smithsonian Associates and their wonderful programs. The Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series is the definitive platform where we explore the frontiers of health, wellness, and the art of extraordinary living beyond 60. The Smithsonian Associates program is dedicated to fostering thoughtful dialogues on subjects that matter. Today, we have special guests with us, Smithsonian Associates, Isabella Tree and Charlie Burrell. And today, we have a special episode that tackles the pressing issues of climate change and biodiversity loss. Our guests today are Smithsonian Associates Isabella Tree and Charlie Burrell, authors of the groundbreaking new book, The Book of Wilding. This book serves as both a practical guide and a beacon of hope for those who wish to make a meaningful impact on our planet. The enormity of climate change and biodiversity loss can often leave all of us feeling overwhelmed, but Isabella and Charlie are here to show us that nature can bounce back spectacularly if given the chance. Their work not only results in wildlife in abundance, but also offers solutions to other environmental crises, bringing public awareness that has transformed their own property, opening it to countless people who have walked the footpaths and have been moved to action. As the transformation of NEP has begun to mature, the wider public response to what is happening here has been overwhelming. People who camp at NEP for a night or two, go on a safari or simply walk the footpaths, tell us how moved they've been by their experience. We receive reams of letters, emails and messages. The elderly, inspired by hearing woodlarks and nightingales, recalling the last time they'd heard them long ago as children. Retired farmers and agronomists expressing regret, realising the damage they, like us, have unwittingly done in their lives. The young exclaiming in joy at hearing their first turtle dove or cuckoo. What they all express is the sense of hope that Net brings. Seeing how nature can bounce back in such profusion and with such astonishing speed, especially on land as unpromising as ours, is both profoundly reassuring and galvanising. In this age of eco-anxiety, when we can so easily feel utterly powerless and overwhelmed by the challenges of climate change and biodiversity loss, experiencing rewilding seems to restore a sense of agency and ambition. We now receive requests for information and advice from people who have been inspired by what they have seen, heard and felt at NEP, who want to know how to become part of the movement for change, how to rewild their garden, allotment, orchard or even window box, how to influence the management of public green space, such as roadside verges, avenues, local parks, towpaths, embankments, churchyards and cemeteries, or how to participate in a rewilding project. This book, we hope, will answer many of those questions. Inevitably, it is focused on the UK and its details. Regulations, funding, organisations, cultural habits, and many other factors will vary in other countries. The general principles, however, apply to aspiring rewilders everywhere. 
To our minds, rewilding is a spectrum and everyone is on it, with the capacity to move even small spaces to ever wilder degrees by connecting directly with existing habitat or acting as a stepping stone between other areas of nature. Rewilding is about thinking holistically, seeing oneself as an integral part of the much bigger picture. By beginning to understand how nature works at scale, in the wild, we can learn how to replicate some of those processes and maximise conditions for biodiversity in smaller, confined spaces. Where natural processes are missing and have no room to perform, we, as human beings, can become the keystone species. We can take lessons from the beaver, wild boar and bison. We can act for the good of nature rather than against it. There has never been a more concerning time to live on this earth, but equally, there has never been a more exciting one. In recognising the miraculous ability of nature to restore itself, we can realise our own capacity to contribute to the rewilding of this planet, our home. That, of course, is one of our guests today, Isabella Tree, reading from the book that she and our other guest, Charlie Borrell, have written titled The Book of Wilding. We'll talk today with Smithsonian Associates Isabella Tree and Charlie Burrell to tackle questions that could redefine our relationship with Mother Earth. Can we dare believe that humans have the power to restore planetary balance? What's holding us back from making rewilding a global movement? And what can each of us do right now to become agents of rewilding? We're going to talk about that and more. So whether you have acres of land or just a small garden, stay tuned as we explore how each of us can play a part in restoring nature and combating climate change. Please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, Smithsonian Associates, Isabella Tree and Charlie Burrell. Isabella Tree, Charlie Burrell, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having us. Lovely to be here. So nice to talk to you. Congratulations on this wonderful book, The Book of Wilding. I've got a copy of it right here. It's just a fantastic guide. We're going to get into that today in our conversation, but we're going to talk first about your upcoming presentation at Smithsonian Associates, the title of which is A Practical Guide to Rewilding. And I wonder if we could just start there real quickly and just tell us briefly what you're going to be talking about to our Smithsonian Associates audience and uh, maybe how you'll be using Zoom to engage us. We're all on Zoom these days, so maybe <laughs> tip us off a little bit. Well, I think it's really about the sort of the scope of the book, which is which is about how there is no too small for rewilding. So I hope what we're going to be able to do is bring some of the ideas of what we've learned in rewilding the larger landscape um, into people's backyards. So perhaps encouraging people to think like a beaver when they're creating a garden pond, um, you know, to put some woody debris in there to create algae for, for um, aquatic insects, to puddle around the edges like a water buffalo so that they create margins for aquatic plants and um, toads and frogs to spawn. Um, so it's really about trying to excite people about thinking differently about the space that they have, whatever soil, whether it's even in a window box, how you can think differently about getting natural processes into that space um, and thinking wilder and, and messier um, and in order to get biodiversity back. Yeah, it's very inspiring. I, I have to tell you both, just personally, my wife and I saw you both on American TV a couple of months ago, I think. And um, 
it inspired us, particularly my wife, to begin a pollinator garden, which we've started. We don't have a lot of land, but we've got enough to create this pollinator garden to kind of rewild our space and make it more amenable to um, various insects and bees in particular, of course, but butterflies. And and I just thought that, that was that was a good place for me to just jump off and say thank you to you. But I I, I suppose I what what's inspired you? I I know you have quite a bit more land to work with. That must have been almost daunting. How how was the inspiration that came about in order to kind of take on all of this work of rewilding? One of the things that have happened just on in lockdown to inspire us even more about the, the scale of the how you can do it in the smaller scale is there was this um, filmmaker. Um, he he he's an inventor. Really. He invents lenses that can look at micro um, habitats, and he was unable to work because he wasn't being sent around the world filming for the BBC or whatever. And he made this little film about his back garden. And it was absolutely extraordinary, wasn't it? Mm. It was, I mean, he, I mean, he found, this is in Bristol, a, a city in, in on, on the West uh, in England. And he found something like 53 different species of bee uh, that were just in his back garden. And I guess we, I'm always sort of looking, when I'm walking around, I'm always looking down at my feet because I like insects. And so I spend a lot of time, you know, just looking at my feet, which is really quite, you know, actually, you've got to look up occasionally, just see what's going on out in the bigger world. But but seeing small stuff is what I, I get completely um, blown away by. And so the, some of those inspirations have come from just, just seeing the small stuff and realizing whether it's lacking or whether it's there, uh, and, and what can we do about it? He, we, we spent quite a few summers um, in the early days of the rewilding project here, which is on 3,500 acres. So it's it's bigger than a back garden. But Charlie yes. spent a lot of his time, you know, bringing in cow pats and rummaging through them on the kitchen table, which wasn't hugely popular with the family. But he did find <laughs> 20 different beetles in a single cow pat. Wow. So species. 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 Yeah. Exactly. Wow. So wow. Um, it's it's really been astonishing how life has found us. Um, we've created, I suppose, the conditions, the habitat has returned, and that's largely been driven by these large free-roaming animals that kind of trample and rootle and create the conditions for other life. But what's then been astonishing is just how all this other life, small mammals, birds, some of them incredibly rare, have found us. You know, they just know the habitat is now there for them. And now we've got the the largest, um, densest population of nightingales, which is one of our rarest birds now in the UK. Population has collapsed 90% since I was a child, and we've now got the densest population of breeding nightingales. Um, turtle doves are a bird that's about to go extinct in the UK, and we are probably the only place left here in Britain where the numbers are still rising year on year. And so from, from being a very polluted, depleted patch of farmland, um, we've gone in 20 years into being one of the most um, significant biodiversity hotspots in Britain. And I think that's the most astonishing story of hope, really. But it is also, it is about a lot of the small stuff, as Charlie says. And I, I think we really are looking for hope. I think we're feeling maybe overwhelmed. We think about climate change and 
And Charlie, as you were talking, I was just thinking to myself, yeah, I, I look down and I think we read about all of these insects that are going away or these nightingales that are depleting in population. And, and maybe we are losing hope in some ways. The book, the book is, is wonderful. And, and I wonder what you would say to people to, you know, kind of empower them to, to start and maybe they can start small, but what would it be that you would give them in terms of, you know, just inspiration to take that first step? One of the things that the journey that we have been on, but, you know, individually, we've also been on separate journeys is that journey of the, the thrill of knowledge and, and meeting. I, and for me, it's about the people that I've met on the journey and what they've been able to tell me and what I've been interested in and learning and that building of that knowledge from all these extraordinary people, you know, the pan species recorder or the, or the, or the botanist that has a special speciality in a particular uh, plant uh, group, or it's all of those that, that, that patina of, of information that has made up my deep interests in, uh, in beginning to understand the ecology around me. And, that's what's driven me and 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 that looks at you know now it's you know it started big and big things and big animals and the excitement of that and then it got smaller and smaller and smaller and now it's just looking at the the biota the bacteria and the fungi and the and the worms in the soil and you sort of then you're you're getting smaller and smaller and smaller and it's it's like when you go to africa you you start off by by getting really excited by the elephant and the and the hippo and the lion and and then you've seen enough of them and you, you know, you may have gone a few times on your, your visits to Africa and you start to then look at the birds and then you start to look at the ecosystem around the birds. And it's that building of knowledge that gives you this, this real drive to then get, get into the real nitty gritty of what's happening down there and in, in the small stuff and the building blocks of, of everything. And I think you're so right about, you know, that this, uh, you know, feeling of, of eco anxiety. And I think, you know that the the only way to to cure that um, is to actually do, and that's what's really exciting. Is even if you've just got a window box and you you plant as you say as you've done with your garden for pollinating insects and remembering that it's not just the bees. What about the night flying moths? You know they're better pollinators than bees. Um, and once you see those moths or those butterflies, you know coming to your window box. The thrill of thinking I've done a tiny little bit of good there. But I think also it's about connectivity. So we've got a wonderful friend who is a wildlife film cameraman in Bristol, and he's rewilded his back garden. He knows how to do it. He's fantastic about ecosystems. I think last count, he had 25 grass snakes in his garden. It's a very small garden. But the really significant thing is he's talked to his neighbors in the same street. And so one of them <clears throat> has created a pond. Another has got a beetle bank. Someone else has covered their house in ivy and creepers. So they've got wonderful nesting spots for birds. And they've either lifted up the fences between their gardens or they've cut holes in the fences so that it becomes a kind of a, a, a tunnel, a, a green corridor for hedgehogs and small mammals. And now they're trying to connect with an urban park not far away from them by um, increasing the tree cover in the streets. They're campaigning the local council to stop mowing the grass verges so they get wildflower meadows along the roads. And once you start doing that, once you start connecting, 
then you really see things coming back to life and you see wildlife being able to travel through the landscapes again, through this kind of webbing, this network of, of, of connectivity. I think one of the things that struck me about the book and your writing and your work is that there are, there are so many other benefits to rewilding that spill over to some of the other issues that we face as a planet. And I wondered if you'd talk a little bit about what you see as being the benefits that, that as solutions, perhaps, to some of these other issues. One other thing that we're now working on with probably five or six different universities um, is looking at both biodiversity and carbon and the benefits that we can bring to society through those two ideas. And, and we're, we're talking about how, how do we, how do we fund, uh, restoration or saving, saving uh, ecosystems around the planet? And, and we've got to come up with models that help society feel safe and, and good about funding the, the avoidance of loss, as it's called, or the or, or the rebuilding of systems, and we're thrilled with what's happening because we've got um, scientists now working on from these five different universities on all of this, uh, uh, working on all this, you know, gathering information on, on on working out what's actually happening on these two subjects, carbon and biodiversity, and we've just come up with some extraordinary figures on what's happening to our soils um which is about to be published this autumn and that's going to be groundbreaking and it's the soils are sequestering capturing carbon at the rate uh, of a deciduous a, a, a broad a broadleaf deciduous woodland plantation uh, over the same time period so it's, so it's so these are these are sort of groundbreaking moments when we can start to really think about what is the, what is the, this landscape giving us uh, and what is it going to what's what's it going to what's it going to be able to do to turn things around and um, for us i mean it's really exciting because for a long time we've known that rewilding projects um are fantastic for increasing wildlife for biodiversity um and for a long time it's been thought of as kind of like a one trick pony but having this evidence that our soils under rewilding are sequestering as much um carbon as a young plantation is really exciting because it means that we're doing both. And so instead of pursuing this kind of tree planting paradigm, which can be disastrous for the environment, it's very poor for biodiversity. We can be planting trees in the wrong place. Um, it's really not the way to go forward. We can now say that rewilding does both. Um, and we're also, of course, doing, doing other things. I mean, we're, we're holding on to moisture. So we're, we're restoring the water table. Um, we're helping prevent flooding downstream from us. We've now got beavers at NEP for the first time in Sussex for 400 years. Um, they've created six acres of wetland and, and open water from a tiny dribble of a stream in just less than a year. And so they, that's been an incredible impact on storing water, purifying water. We're also purifying the air. We know that Britain has been um, challenged in the courts successfully four times by client earth um, because we haven't lived up to our air pollution agreements with Europe. Um, and so places like this, you could have rewilding areas around cities that are actually cleaning the air, restoring oxygen, um, purifying the water and actually providing an amenity for people living in cities to to actually get out and enjoy nature. 
So there's all sorts of benefits. Practically every environmental crisis we're facing right now can be answered by rewilding, which is really exciting. Hi, it's Paul. Do you love entertaining, informative, eclectic, insightful programs about culture, health, science, life, and everything Smithsonian? As part of our Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast, we're introducing you to the new Smithsonian Associates streaming series. Smithsonian, a nonprofit organization, is excited to present this new aspect of their 55 years as the world's largest museum-based educational program. Join us from the comfort of your home as we periodically interview Smithsonian Associate guest speakers. Our audience here on radio and podcast can explore our website for more information, links, and details at notold-better.com. Thanks, everybody. We are with the authors of the new book, The Book of Wilding, uh, Charlie Burrell and Isabella Tree. Smithsonian Associates are here with us today. They have written this wonderful book. They will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates coming up. We just encourage our audience to check out the book. Check out the Smithsonian Associates presentation. You can find all of the information about both, both Charlie and Isabella in our show notes today. But please do consider this. It's important work. Congratulations on the book again. And we so appreciate your time. And thank you, Isabella, for reading today. I wonder if you'd give us some tips. Give us maybe for our, our Smithsonian Associate audience and their families. How can we get involved in this? and um, and really engage in rewilding in a, in a meaningful way, so that we're doing something and we are just starting. What what would you what would you say to our audience to in order to to jump in? Well, I, I would. I, I mean, hopefully, we've got in the back of the book we've got a whole section on um, further resources, which gives mm-hmm. lots of organisations, um, both in the UK and internationally, uh, where you can find out more. You can volunteer. Uh, fantastic books to read, um, organizations to join. Um, but hopefully in the chapters we've written on, um, particularly rewilding your garden and urban rewilding, um, there should be plenty of ideas, I think, for how to bring nature back into your own backyard. I think the, the most important thing I would say is just to go pesticide free. That's the first thing. Um, but what, what would you, what would you say was your most important? One of the things that Izzy has done with her, her landscape gardening friends is she's destroyed my croquet. <laughs> yeah, if you've got a croquet <laughs> lawn, you can destroy it. So she's, <laughs> she's covered my croquet lawn, which is a very, very fine, fine sport. Uh, 400 tons of crushed concrete. And she's now growing um, things from the long grass prairies and, and producing pollen and nectar and um, anyway, that's been wonderful. Yeah, so you can, you can definitely get rid of the monoculture lawn in a very dramatic way if you fancy it. Um, so I think it's really it is it is learning to think like a beaver, think like a a bison, think like a wild boar. Look at your garden or your space or your churchyard, your orchard, whatever it is, and let it get a little bit messier around the edges. You know, the brambles, the nettles all that kind of thing. If you can spare a little corner where you can just trial um, having a patch of, um, you know, thorny scrub of native species um, and just see how it goes. I think, you know, we weren't brave enough to rewild 3,500 acres all in one go, Um, but just putting your toe in the water and seeing how it feels and watching the life come back. And then you think, God, 
that was that was pretty interesting. Why don't we try that corner too? You know, it's just starting. Just just do something. How's the local community responded to your work? Is everybody just jumped on board? I could imagine that that would be the case, but maybe there are some that don't want to give up croquet, and maybe they, you know the things <laughs> the things we do for love, Charlie. I, I totally relate to that. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we did have um, in the early days. We certainly did have um, a bit of trouble with the neighbors, and I mean, it, it's it's understandable. I think if you know. Um, People have retired to the countryside. They've got a, a a picture postcard idea of what the idyllic countryside should look like: manicured fields, neat hedges, canalized, you know, rivers. And then suddenly they're they're over the garden fence. They're seeing the whole thing turn into ragwort and thistles and thorny scrub, and they think, "What the hell is going on?" Um, so it can be quite shocking, I think, the transformation in the early years and. But I think most of that has died away now that most people, I think, see that there's method in our madness. And, you know, now they can hear the birdsong. They know the extraordinary creatures that have come back. We had a letter not very long ago from a woman who'd written to us in the early days. And she, she, you know, there were no holes barred. You know, she told Charlie that what he'd done was an abomination, that he turned something beautiful into something that was riotously offensive that his grandparents would be rolling in their graves. Um, and she very kindly wrote to us a couple of years ago and apologized and said, I'm so sorry. I I was much too hasty. I now walk NEP every week with my dog. And I think it really is beautiful. It's just beautiful in another way. And I think that's the difficulty with humans. We We quite often are emotionally attached to um, a landscape that we've been taught is safe and productive and biodiverse, and it's anything but. And we have to unlearn a lot of our culture and uh, unlearn a lot of our aesthetic sensibilities. And that is very, very difficult. But I think once you realize how full of life our, our landscape should be, what we're missing, then you can learn to let go a bit and let nature get back in the driving seat. That's nice to hear. And so when you mentioned NEP, um, I know a little, I know a, a tiny bit that, that this is, um, uh, really an ecotourism location. It sounds like there's ample trails for people, local people to, to walk and enjoy. And so you've really made this kind of open to the community too, which I'm sure is added, only added to those engaged in embracing it. And we, I mean, We've had this extraordinary amount of people now walking the footpaths. I think a couple of winters ago, there was uh, our team had, had found, was it 32 single shoes in <laughs> yeah. the mud on the footpaths? <laughs> uh, <and> that, <laughs> maybe the people were buried in the mud as well. I don't know. But, um, but so, so the amount of people now coming to have a look and to feel and to understand a little bit about what life could look like with uh with with life back in it is astonishing so our son has just opened up a, a restaurant and cafe and um we've had three weeks open now or a month i guess mm. and uh, it's been complete we've been completely bowled over the huge quantities of people coming to 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 now start with a coffee and then go for a walk and try to find a pig or a stork or a or whatever it is I think that that's one of the common misconceptions about rewilding is that it's about 
it's all about the birds and the butterflies and it's not about people. And we say that it's absolutely, you know, the opposite. It's, it's, it's about engaging more people with nature. And what we've been really surprised post farming, which was a disaster for us. And we were losing money hand over fist because we we're on completely the wrong soil for farming. Um, is that we've actually, you know, these alternative income streams have become available to us. I mean, there's ecotourism, you know, we've now got the restaurant and cafe. Um, we've got over a hundred volunteers, um, who just walk the footpaths of NEP, um, helping point people in the right direction, showing them wildlife that they may have missed. Um, so it's really about opening up nature to people again. And that has been, you know, really one of the, the biggest joys about what we've, what, what we've been doing. Yeah. And congratulations again on, on all of this, the awareness and the education and just, um, the joy that, you know, you express, you know, here it, it's, it's very real and it's very touching. Where do you go next? You know, beyond that, beyond Sussex, where, where in Europe is, are some of your next steps? Where in the U.S.? How are you, you know, how are you going to proceed? My my life has definitely taken a turn for the better in that I'm now involved in rewilding Europe. I'm involved in the Carpathia project, which is an extraordinary project in the Fagrash Mountains in, in the Carpathian Mountains in Romania. I chair a company that we buy land to rewild. I am vice chair of another company. We are doing the same thing in um, the, the sort of the, uh, tropical zone around the planet. So I'm I'm involved in in loads of different things, looking at how how we can make make a change, how how we can get back life uh, into all our lives, and that's been amazing. And from NAP, I think you know we've we we now feel that you know we're surrounded you know with this life, this humming, thrumming, amazing bubble of life. But mm-hmm. the next step really is to connect, just like a garden and a street is connecting with the neighbours, and so. Our ambition now, we've started a project called the Wheel to Waves project. We're in the Sussex Wheeled here. Um, and we want to see if we can connect with the sea. Um, we've got this amazing marine conservation project off the coast in Sussex, 300 square kilometers of um, help the kelp restoration. Um, and we're now connecting with landowners and farmers between us to make a corridor of about 25 miles to the sea. And then northeast of us to this amazing heathland, which is also feeling a bit beleaguered by farmland and um, development around it, um, which is the Ashdown Forest, which is where Winnie the Pooh um, was created. And so 25 miles to the northeast of us, we'll be doing that. So all in all, we've got about 100 uh, miles of corridor um, in three-pronged attack to reach the sea down three water catchment, three river catchments. And that's involving everybody from private landowners to farmers, as I said, but also individual, um, you know, gardeners. So on the first, we, we launched our website about four or five weeks ago. And that first, uh, weekend, we had over 200 private gardeners who registered to join the project. So that's really exciting is talking to other people, getting this movement rolling and um, connecting, you know, the wider landscape. Well, Charlie, Isabella, you, you've been so gracious with your time and so generous, and you've given us some tips and how we can kind of work in a meaningful way towards some of these goals. How can our audience get involved and support some of the projects that you are leading and heading up? 
Well, I mean, we do have a foundation. Uh, uh, it's called the NEP Wildland Foundation. Um, and uh, partly that drives the Wheel to Waves project. So it's all about connectivity. But it's also about educating um, young students, particularly who want to become ecologists. And it's about getting the word of rewilding out there to a wider audience. So it's um, it's it's funding um, creating animations and um, information about how to rewild. So um, that that that's a that's our charitable arm. Um, but as I say, there's lots of lots of ideas in the back of the book for you know for wider exploration of the whole the whole rewilding movement. Well, good. Thank you so much, Isabella and Charlie. We're going to put links up to your foundation, of course, to where our audience can find out more information about your upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation, as well as the book. This has been great talking with you again. Congrats on the book. Congratulations on all your work. This is uh, uh, wonderful stuff and so important. So thank you for sharing it with us. And I look forward to seeing you at Smithsonian Associates coming up. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for having us. It's been great talking with you. Oh, lovely meeting you. And we meet you again then. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I look forward to it. Thanks, Charlie. Thanks, Isabella. My thanks to Smithsonian Associates, Isabella Tree and Charlie Borrell. Thank you, Isabella, for reading from your new book, available now, titled The Book of Wilding. This book serves as both a practical guide and a beacon of hope for those who wish to make a meaningful impact on our planet. My thanks to the Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. My thanks to you, my wonderful audience. Please be well, be safe. Let's talk about better. The Not Old Better Show, Smithsonian Associates interview series on radio and podcast. Thanks, everybody, and we will see you next week.